This is Gesher, the podcast that's bridging the gap between the Jewish and evangelical Christian communities with conversations that matter. Here's your host, Ty Perry, with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Gesher, the bridge-building podcast. At the beginning of this season of Gesher, I interviewed Rabbi Felipe Goodman, a conservative rabbi, uh, about questions pertaining to Judaism, Jewish theology, asked by Christians. Well, today we're going to look at questions that Jewish people often have for Christians. And so my guest today is Pastor Mark Sazowskis, who served as senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Rochester, Michigan, since 2012. He also happens to be my pastor. Pastor Mark, welcome to Gesher. Thank you, Ty. Great to be here today. Well, Pastor, um, it's very interesting. The Jewish people and and Christians, we have a shared uh, history, um, often a, a not so great history. We have a shared heritage in the scriptures. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but the, the the distinctions are pretty marked. Um, so today I want to ask you some questions that we often get from some of my Jewish friends. People post online questions sure. about uh, Christian theology. So I want to start off with uh, questions just kind of general. And the first is, um, this person says, I always assumed that if a person was not Jewish or didn't belong to another religion, at least in the, in the United States, they were Christian. But I was recently told that that is not what the New Testament teaches. So who is a Christian? Or I guess maybe another way to say it is what makes a person a Christian? Sure. I th- and I think that's a wonderful question to kind of lead us off here with. You know, a, a Christian is a person that has chosen to follow Christ. Built right into that word Christian, we see what's at the core of Christianity and it is Jesus Christ. Mm. So if an individual has come to understand who Jesus truly is, involved in that would also be then an understanding of not only seeing who Jesus is, but who they are Mm. in relation to Jesus. Um, Jesus is the perfect Son of God. They would see their sinfulness in relation to God. They would recognize Jesus as the God-man who came and died on their behalf on, on the cross. And so when we say, what, what is a Christian? A, a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ, and taking in with that everything that Jesus taught and communicated, and they're following in in that stead. Sure. So it's, it's different than maybe with many of my Jewish friends who, they're born Jewish. There's nothing they can do to stop being Jewish or right. become Jewish. They are Jewish ethnically, uh, and with that comes a, a religion, Judaism, whereas a, a Christian, it's not an ethnic thing. It's, That's I right. guess you'd say, a decision to follow Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus. It is exactly a decision, and it's a decision that anybody, Jew or Gentile, mm. can choose to follow Jesus. And there's no more important decision that a person can make in their life than that very decision yeah. to be a follower of Christ. Well, the other question is, um, I guess, more personal for you. Um, understanding what you just said about it, it's a decision to to trust the Messiah, Jesus. When and how did you become a Christian? Yeah, f- for me, Ty, when I was young, I had the great privilege of growing up in a, in a Christian home. What do you mean by that, by the way? What's and a so, Christian home? That's mean? a good question. When I, It means my parents were both followers of okay. Christ. Um, so they believed in the Lord Jesus. Uh, they saw the local church as an important part of being a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I was in church, you know, from, from a very, a very young age. 
hearing the teaching of the scriptures, coming under the teaching of the scriptures. And when I was probably in middle elementary school age, um, I, I remember being in our midweek program, hearing the gospel shared, the gospel coming across to me as the teaching that I'm, I'm a sinner. Um, there is sin in my life, there's sin in my heart, and that sin puts me at odds with God. Uh, he's a holy God. And certainly as a child, you can't understand the fullness of all of that, sure. but certainly enough to know I'm a sinner, God is holy, and only the Savior Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection are the only hope for me at having a relationship with God. And so as a child, putting my faith in Christ, asking God for the forgiveness of my sins, repenting of my sin. And putting my faith in Christ alone. So that happened for me as as a child and have been growing in that ever since, coming to understand more and more what what that is and what that means. Yeah. And that's that's a hard thing. That's not something that's fun to do to have to admit that you are a sinner. That's right. Uh that's tastes like mud. <laughs> it does taste like mud, but I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we all know we're sinners. Yeah. Um I don't think there's a single person on the planet that can honestly look in the mirror, look at their lives and say, I have been perfect yeah. in every thought, in every word, in everything that I have ever done. Mm -hmm. I, I think if people are honest with themselves, they know they have sinned. Yeah. And if a person has sinned, they're a sinner. Right. And that's me. Right. And there's a penalty. That's exactly right. That. That's exactly right. Now, we have to talk about baptism. Um, sometimes, it's especially for, for babies, which is not, uh, you won't find it in the scripture, and it certainly isn't in our tradition, um, this, this idea of baptism or this concept of baptism. So what is baptism? And um, do you have to be baptized or christened to be a Christian? Sure. I didn't hear that in your, your story. Right. Baptism was a part of my story but it came after I had put faith in, in Christ. Okay. So to answer the first question, what is baptism? It's a, it's a picture. It, it's a symbol of, of an inward change that has happened in an individual. So it's an external picture of something that's happened inside. And I think the reason baptism is so important is Jesus himself commanded that baptism be that external picture that follows salvation. So when he's giving the instructions to his disciples in Matthew 28, before he returns to glory, he tells them to go into all the world and, and, and preach the gospel. When an individual comes to faith in the gospel, then Jesus will speak of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we just stop there, but I think even after that, then Jesus emphasizes not only should a person be baptized, but then they also should be taught. And that's the rest of our life, yeah. where Jesus says, teaching them everything that I have commanded, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I think there, Jesus sets the pattern. A person hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they believe the gospel, then they're baptized, and then for the remainder of their days, they're following in the teaching of Jesus. And I think we see that pattern follow itself out in the book of Acts. Mm. Um, when, when, when Peter preaches on the day of, of Pentecost, 
people hear the gospel, they believe the gospel. In fact, they say, what, what do we do? And Peter says, now you're to be baptized, yeah. and he baptizes. Um, does an individual have to be baptized in order to be a Christian? And I would, believe, I would say the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a great example of that is the thief on the cross. Um, he recognizes who Jesus truly is and says to him, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes he's the king. He recognizes that he's the way to the kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I can't baptize you. This isn't going to work. That's right. not what Jesus says right. today. You'll be with me. Yeah. Hmm. Well, talking about teaching, um, this question is uh, about that in a way. Do Christians read the Tanakh or the Old Testament, or they just stay in their lane, only the New Testament? Uh, what do you see in uh, maybe the people of your congregation? Sure. I... I see that both the Old Testament and the New Testament have tremendous value for the believers, for believers. And, and I think that's because they're both the Word of God. They, they are the fullness of God's revelation mm-hmm. to mankind. We see in the New Testament, whenever, whenever we read in the New Testament about the Scriptures, it's always referring to the, to the Old Testament. Right. And, you know, Timothy, Paul commends Timothy or speaks to Timothy about how wonderful it was that his mother and his grandmother taught him the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the that was the Old Testament. And so I, I think sometimes the the stark separation of Old Testament and New Testament does us a little bit of harm yeah. because we separate them. I think they're they're both the word of God. I think the the New Testament speaks of the value of of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so for a believer, for a Christian, we we want to be reading both of them. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Great value. Well, when it comes to uh, Christianity, one of the doctrines that is probably one of the most difficult to explain or to articulate to others is that of the Trinity. Um, certainly not a <laughs> word you're going to find in the scriptures. You won't find the word Trinity. The, the doctrine is there. Um, and, and so this question um, is one that many Jewish people ask. Why do Christians claim to be monotheists when they apparently worship three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I, I would first say it is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a genuinely difficult doctrine for our finite minds to really get, to really get our, our heads around. At the same time, it's what the scriptures teach us. So we see in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. He is is one God. And yet, in the process of progressive revelation, we, we begin to see a more fuller picture in the sense that, yes, though God is one, that one God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, and and when, we, when we read through the scriptures, from beginning to end, even in the book of Genesis, I think we start to see, you know, even in creation, Moses, as he writes Genesis chapter 1, the, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. I, I think there were start, that's certainly not the, the fullness of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Right. 
there's there's the spirit. And as we continue to read through the scriptures, we see that unpacked all the more where we have Jesus Christ come onto the scene more fully in the gospels. Mm -hmm. And we see even at his baptism, God, the voice of God comes and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the, and the dove descends representing the, the spirit of God. And so it, it is not three gods. It is one God, three persons. Those three persons are co-equal and co-eternal. Mm. Can it be fully understood by our finite minds? I think we tap out yeah. at, at some point. Yeah. But just because we tap out doesn't mean that something is untrue. Right. And I think the scriptures show us uh, the, 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 the tri-unity of God. And I think maybe you can speak to this. Um, we, as humans, often overemphasize one aspect of Jesus through the other. Some, he is God, but we diminish the fact that he's also man. Mm-hmm. And then others may emphasize his humanity so much that you realize you are worshiping God. Yeah. And that he, um, it, it's not as if Jesus came into existence 2,000 years ago. Correct. Right? He, he, was, he has existed since the... Forever. Yeah. There's never been a moment where Jesus didn't exist. Because he's God. Correct. He's eternal. Okay. Correct. Um, why are there so many Christian denominations? Uh, you're a, you're a <laughs> pastor of a, of a Baptist church. Um, just talking about Baptists, we could go on for hours on why this one is, this sect of Baptists is not <laughs> yeah. this sect of Baptists. But can you, to, to many outsiders, when they look sure. at, well, over here you've got the Nazarene church, and over here you've got the Lutheran church and the Baptist church, why isn't there just one church? What's going on there? Yeah, it, and in a sense, there is one church mm-hmm. in that everyone who has placed faith in Jesus Christ is part of the church, the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, Paul would speak of in the New Testament. How that's manifest in the world that we live in certainly is multiple churches and multiple denominations and subgroups of the denominations and and all of this. And I think a lot of that relates to different individuals' understanding of various passages of, uh, of Scripture. So you talked about baptism a moment yeah. ago. You know, there are some that view, view baptism uh, a different way than others. Um, both believe the Bible is the Word of God. Both believe that Jesus is Messiah and the only hope of salvation. But they view baptism differently than others do. And so that has sort of drawn a line and created now there's those that treat this doctrine this way and these that treat this doctrine this way. And so in those varying interpretations of scripture, denominations are born, are born out of that. Sure. Um, and I don't think all of those lines are, are bad, mm-hmm. but I, I think among those that are true believers in, in Jesus Christ, I, I heard one pastor say years ago, keep the fences, keep them low and shake hands often. Mm. And I thought, that, that's really good. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I don't think the denominations are a bad thing, but let's not build giant walls uh, either between brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure. Yeah. I want to get into some questions about Jesus himself. Um, I always find it interesting. Uh, I was talking to a, to a Jewish friend the other day, and uh, she said, hey, don't forget, Jesus is one of ours. <laughs> You know, she's, she's Jewish. And I said, yes, you are absolutely yeah, they're, they're right. They're holding on tight to him. <laughs> That's right. He is Jewish. Um, but it seems like uh, this time of year, Christmas time, yeah. and, you know, you go to you go to checkout and you see at a store, you see that 
Time Magazine special on who is Jesus. Yeah. Every year we're going through this mm-hmm. identity crisis. Um, so let's talk about him. I want to begin um, with, did Jesus claim to be the Messiah or to be God, or is that something that came afterwards? Maybe his followers kind of portrayed him in that way. No, he absolutely claimed it. And I, I think one of the the first clear place where we see it is in John's Gospel, John chapter 4, very well-known passage of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. And as Jesus is going throughout this conversation with, with the woman, he he reveals that he is the Messiah. She she asks about it, you know, we're looking for the Messiah. And he says, I am he. I, I am the one. So Jesus does not shy away yeah. from claiming that he is that he is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Nor does he shy away from claiming to be God. Right. You know, he will, in John chapter 8, you go a little farther, he will say, before Abraham was, I am claiming that holy name of, of God himself. And there are cults today who would diminish that. that They'd say, no, Jesus didn't claim to be God. My question is always, then why were the Jewish leadership so upset with him all the time? That That is the reason they were That's upset, exactly because he claimed to be God, and there was great clarity on that. Right. Um, and they were fired up about it. Yeah. So fired up, they sought to kill him and ultimately did. And, and to be fair, uh, if I can say this, if he was not who he said he was, their, their uh, reaction would have been biblical. That you 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 That's stone correct. someone who a false prophet a false That's prophet. That's right. You don't stone someone who tells the truth, though. Right. And in this case, right, it truly is right. So it, it's an interesting thing there. Um, what proof do you have that Jesus is the Messiah? You know, throughout history, um, there have been many who've claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, we had Bar Kokhba. We had uh, other people throughout Jewish history, Jewish mysticism. Um, I think even Charles Manson claimed to be, you know, at least some manifestation of the Messiah. Wow. So how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah himself? Yeah, I think as, as we read, this is why both the Old Testament and the New Testament are of such value to us. So in the, in the Old Testament, we find so many promises pointing forward to the coming Messiah. Speaking of where he'll be born, um, speaking of the things that he will do. And as we see Jesus being born, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, we have that recorded, down to all of the smallest details that were prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years prior to his birth, all of those prophecies fulfilled. Mm -hmm. We read of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 of uh, of his death, uh, those all perfectly fulfilled. Um, So I, I see those promises made hundreds of years before Christ comes on the scene and they're and they're fulfilled. I, I think also we see he he rose from the dead. Mm. Um, what greater proof could there be than the resurrection yeah. from the dead? Yeah. Which is why Resurrection Sunday is is the most glorious day. That's right. Wonderful. That's right. Without that we would No hope. We would have no hope. Right. Yeah, no hope, and uh, we'd sit at home on Sundays. There's no point. That's right. In coming if that together. tomb is still sealed, we have absolutely no hope. Yeah. Hmm. Well, then this question um, I get quite often: If Jesus is the Messiah, where's the peace? You know, when we, when we read the Old Testament scriptures, 
the messianic age that we read about that the Messiah will bring is one where the lion lies down to the lamb. Yeah. You know, we, we, yeah. there's no more war. Yeah. Um, if Jesus came 2000 years ago and we look around and we see war and conflict everywhere. So where's that peace that, that we were looking for? Doesn't that sound amazing? Mm-hmm. The lion laying down. I mean, I, I want that peace as much as, as much as anybody. Yeah. You know, and when we, we talk about Jesus's birth and it, it was proclaimed at his birth, he is the, the prince of, of peace. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we have to understand is that first there needs to be peace within, within us. Mm-hmm. And that's the peace that Jesus accomplishes in his first coming. Mm-hmm. In his first coming, Jesus wraps himself in flesh, lives as a perfect man, as a sinless man, so that he is able to take my place on the cross, die for my sins as my substitute, as prophesied by Isaiah. Yeah. And then he, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again on the third day according mm-hmm. to the scriptures. Because of that work, because of the work of Jesus, he is now able to make peace. Paul will talk about this in Ephesians chapter 2, an internal peace. I can be at peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. The day where the lion will lay down with the lamb, that's a part of Christ's second coming. That will happen. Yeah, It's yet future. But the immediate peace is the peace within us. Sure. And it's, it's, it's described by Paul as a peace that passes understanding. Um, there is an amazing peace within us, even with all the turmoil that's in our world. Mm-hmm. My peace I leave with you, yeah. Jesus said. So there's a, there's a vertical peace. peace between that would be a great God way to and say it. And a yes. horizontal peace that we are waiting for and we're hoping comes very soon. Anticipating we know greatly. Soon. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Why did Jesus need to, quote, die for our sins? You know, we, we hear this, uh, uh, I mean, I believe this, but we'll hear this in our culture quite often. People know Jesus died for our sins. Um, why did he have to do that? And and isn't that antithetical to the Old Testament's teaching that if a person sins, they're going to pay for their own sin? I can't pay for yours. You can't pay for mine. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we understand that? Yeah, the, the reason... Somebody needs to pay the price for our sin. So when, when we sin, we are offending a holy God. Mm-hmm. All of our sin, great and small, is an offense to a holy God. The wages of sin is death. And that, that sin must be paid for. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament, we see that that sin was paid for with the blood of bulls and goats and and animals. And yet the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament will say that never completely satisfied. Mm. It's goat after goat after goat every after year. Goat, year after year after year after year. Never fully satisfying. So when Jesus comes as the perfect spotless lamb of God, a beautiful name ascribed to Jesus, he as the as the perfect man who never sinned is able to uniquely as the God man 
bear in his body on the tree the wrath of God for the sin of all mankind. Mm. And he was that once for all sacrifice. This is why the, the, the curtain in the temple tears in two. Right. All of the sacrifices, up they're, they're all satisfied up into the work of Jesus Christ. Mm. He's the once for all sacrifice. When he finishes that, he sits down in glory. It's finished. All done. It is finished. Yes. And so no more goats, no more bulls, no more doves. Nothing else needs to be sacrificed because he was the once for all great sacrifice. We don't have to, we don't see him being sacrificed every Sunday or, no. or every year as no. Yom Kippur, uh, the day of atonement in the Bible. It was every year you bring this sacrifice. Um, since Jesus, it, it, it's one that lasts forever, forever, forever. Yeah. And, and I think that's why in, in the new Testament, we see that's so important that the Lord Jesus gave a meal of remembrance the Lord's table or communion. Mm-hmm. And so as local churches, we come around that table to remember that once for all sacrifice. Nothing about the communion meal saves or redeems or gives any kind of grace, but it's to remember that once for all sacrifice, the shedding of his blood in the cup and the giving of his body in the bread so that we remember that once for all sacrifice. And then what about the question of how could another person take the penalty for my sin? Because, yeah. Pastor, this is going to be a shock to yeah. you. I'm a sinner. <laughs> well, I me sin. too. We're in the same boat on that time. <laughs> so so if I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, we can't really help each other out. That's exactly How is right. it that Jesus can do that? Well, this is why Jesus so uniquely, this is what makes Jesus so wonderful. As the God-man, Jesus was uniquely fully God and fully man. Mm. And this is this is what's important for us to remember even at this time of, of year. Mm-hmm. You know, in the New Testament book of Philippians, we read that Jesus did not hold tightly to his unique position in, in glory. He was willing to come to earth, wrap himself in flesh, live as a man, not, not just any man, live as a servant, and and die. So Jesus is uniquely able to take my sin and your sin tie because he was the God man, perfect in every way. He never sinned. Yeah. So you can't take mine because you've sinned. I can't take yours because I've sinned. Jesus never sinned. And not only did he never sin, he was God. Yeah. And so as God, he is able to, to be the substitute hmm. that, Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 53. That's good news. It is the greatest of news. It's the greatest of news. Well, let's talk about the afterlife. Um, according to the scriptures, according in, I guess I'd say, according to Christian theology, our, our understanding of scripture, what happens to a person when they die? Um, and do you believe that's any different for Gentiles or, or Jewish people or you know whatever your religious tradition might be? Yeah. Well, we, we talked earlier about that thief on the cross mm-hmm. when we were talking about baptism. And the thief on the cross apparently hears the things that Jesus has been saying while he's on the cross. And he comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he says to Jesus, remember me. 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to that thief, today you will be with me Mm. in paradise. And so because of his belief in Jesus, he would be with Jesus in in paradise. So for the person who's placed belief in Jesus, they will be with him in his heavenly dwelling, in, in, in paradise. And so whether Jew or Gentile, for the person who has placed trust in Christ at death, they will be with, with him. Mm-hmm. And what more glorious place is there to be than with, than with the Messiah? What about those who do not? Well, Scripture is equally clear that for those who have not put faith in Christ, it is, it is the exact opposite. Instead of being with Christ, it is to be separated from him. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Jesus in the Gospels speaks quite a bit about, about a place we would describe as, as hell. Mm-hmm. It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and darkness and, and agony. And for those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, they are, they're separated from him at death. And the scriptures teach us that's, that's not temporary. That's for all of eternity. Mm. And that's a very sobering, very sobering thought. Yeah. So Dante did not come up with the idea no. of hell. No. Uh, maybe we could just speak very briefly. What about purgatory? You know, we hear uh, from... Catholics, uh, Catholic theology teaches that there is a place called purgatory. Do you believe in such a place? I, I don't, and the reason I don't is because I don't see it in the in the, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, as as much as possible, we we want to look at the scriptures. They are the revelation of God to man, and we don't see any any. We don't see the word purgatory. We don't see the, a description of any place like purgatory. Um, and so this is why it's been rejected. Uh, by the church. Yeah. Just a couple more here. Um, <laughs> this one's this one's probably one of the harder ones to answer. Um, and here it is. It seems that Christians cherry pick portions of Scripture. They quote the <laughs> Ten Commandments and other portions of the Torah, like those against homosexuality, for example. But they eat unkosher foods. They mix their textiles, etc. Why? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there is some cherry picking that uh, that goes on. <laughs> Not us. We wouldn't do that. Would we? <laughs> I think that does happen, and this is why, as students of of the Bible, uh, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Paul uses that phrase with Timothy, or which means to to cut it straight. We need to cut it straight. We we need to see what it says, and that's what we hold to. What what the word of God says. So when it comes to the Old Testament law, Paul in the New Testament helps us to understand how, how we use the law. We know that the law was satisfied in Christ. He kept it perfectly. And so his sacrificial death was the kind of the summation of the, of the fullness of the law. For us, the law functions in a way to show us we can't keep the law. We find that we, we break the law. Um, we, we violate it. It's our schoolmaster, Paul will, Paul will say. So the law serves a purpose to show us we've broken God's law. You know, that sin we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, mm-hmm. 
the law serves a function to show us we've broken the law of God, we've violated it, we're sinners, and that somehow needs to be made right. Now, the somehow is Jesus Christ, right? but the law serves to show us that. But the law also shows us God's standard. Um, and the Ten Commandments are a very helpful way to show us the standard. And and the the Ten Commandments, we find them repeated in the New Testament, uh, all except for the, the Sabbath day, sure. which after the resurrection of Christ, we see the followers of Christ then gathered on the first day of the week, commemorating Christ's resurrection. And John will speak of that even in Revelation, where he mentions the Lord's day. And, and so I, I think there's a, a, a purpose for the, for the law, but we, we do need to be good students of Scripture and not just cherry-pick something that might fit what we want it to say right. at a particular time. Right. Far too easy to do that. You can make oh, the Bible say anything you want it to you say. You can. Really. You can. Yeah. And so context matters, you know, historical, grammatical interpretation matters. Mm-hmm. We need to be good students of the Word of God. But you, I don't think you meant to, but you segued perfectly into my <laughs> final question here. You're talking about interpretation of Scripture. Um, the question is, some Christians believe that because Israel as a nation rejected Jesus as their Messiah, God has therefore rejected the Jewish people, that he's done with mm-hmm. them, um, called replacement theology. This, of course, has led to a lot of anti-Semitism throughout the centuries. Do you agree with this view? Why or why not? No. I, in fact, Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he's... he's preparing to leave. He's preparing his disciples. You know, they've been with him for three years. And he says to them, we see this in the beginning of the book of Acts, man, I, w- I want you to start in Jerusalem. Mm. Stay stay right here. Don't leave Jerusalem. And begin this, this enterprise, which comes to be known as the church and the spreading of the gospel. You begin it in Jerusalem with the Jewish people. Begin in Jerusalem then we'll work out to Judea and Samaria, and then to the othermost parts of, of the earth. If God had written off the Jewish people, it wouldn't have started in Jerusalem. Right. It would have, it would have of all places, it wouldn't have started in Jerusalem. Yeah. And yet, that's where it begins. Mm. And that's where we see the first converts. That's where we see the church begin. It all happens amongst the Jewish people mm. and works out from there. No, the, the Jewish people have a unique place in the heart of God. Clearly, yeah. as, as we see that. And I'm thankful that as a Gentile, we do as well. Yes. But we, there's no way we can look at the scriptures and say, God has turned his back or the Lord Jesus has turned his back on the Jewish people. Mm. Not Amen. At all. Not at all. Well, Pastor, thank you for your time. Thanks for answering our questions. And uh, if you have any questions for either a rabbi or a pastor, I want you to let me know. You can submit them to me at tperry at foi.org. I will try to ask them on a future episode of Gesher. But, Pastor, thanks for your time. Thanks for being on Gesher today. Ty, this has been great. Thank you. You've been listening to Gesher, a ministry outreach production of FOI Equip, your free resource for learning and engaging with the Scriptures from a Jewish perspective. To learn more, visit foiequip.org. And for more information about Thai, visit foi.org forward slash Perry. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.